0: This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome back after Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a good weekend and safe travels if you went somewhere and um, just a blessed time of Thanksgiving I find it somewhat fitting that this chapter fell <laughs> right in line with Thanksgiving, kind of one of those prime holidays that we gather as a family. Um, and so, with looking at the sons of Jacob, I just thought that was nicely done by God to align all those things. When I think about our last weekend, we had we got to host this year, which is always a blessing. It's kind of nice to be in your own home, even with the little bit of added, you know, details and shopping and preparation and stuff. Um, And I just, as I was finishing writing yesterday, I found myself kind of reflecting on the weekend and all that it entailed. And we had, my mom was in from out of town and some of Brad's family friends were at the table. And it was just this mixture um, of all of that combined. And so it was family that God had chosen for us. And then friends that have become family that we've chosen to just join as a family. And so it was just kind of a nice, nice ambiance. It was not calm because there were kids and things running around, but I love that. Um, We were sitting there carving the turkey, just my husband and I, and everyone else was mingling and whatnot. And it was just, I love those sounds, those sounds of the season of laughter and kids playing and things crashing and... All of that entailed, (laughs) so I know um, when I think back to previous Thanksgivings um, there were times that with family it wasn't maybe so calm and there was maybe hurt, um, let down, things that had interfered with that time together and I know that for some, that heartache and loss and differences that have occurred can kind of interfere um, with being able to enjoy time together. So coming out of Thanksgiving, going into Christmas, thinking about all that we've studied over the last couple weeks, um, just a lot of mixed feelings and emotions that um, I came into it with at least. So it was nice to be able to sit with God and just to try and hear what he had to say. Our author, she titled this teaching chapter beautifully. When, she, when you get to the teaching chapter, when I opened it up, the first words I saw, they say you can't choose your family. And I thought, okay, that's enough for today. <laughs> I kind of set it aside and thought, I'm just going to sit with that for a little bit, because it's very true. Um, I, our author, Nancy, asked shortly after that, if you could choose... What would you choose? What family? Who would you choose? What values? What morals? What fame, money, celebrity? And she listed off some things. Would you choose different siblings? Would you choose different extended family for those of us with, you know, the uncle that's a little funny and quirky? But if we did choose, would it really be better? or would we just have a different set of challenges and nuances well we didn't have the opportunity to choose our family god did the more time i spend in the bible the more i see and understand how deliberate god is in everything that he does he chose his choosing leads to the lineage, the family in which his son would be born, he chose us. And in choosing Jacob's family, God, as usual, he chose the unexpected. And he chose those unexpected to be part of his family. Nancy Guthrie was quick to point out that Jacob's family was filled with, are you ready for the list? This was a good one. Polygamy, jealousy, sibling rivalry, manipulation, deceit, estrangement, incest, prostitution, there's still more, rape, murder, idolatry, and even with all of these things as a part of that family, God uses it all, every bit of it for good. In Genesis 50:20, that's what we're told, God uses it all for good. What I still find somewhat amazing is that not only did God choose these people who were unexpected, who were flawed, he doesn't hesitate to have those flaws out in the open. He doesn't hide them. He doesn't try and cover them up. Those failures and flaws are right out there for us to see in scripture, to know what that family was made up of and mistakes that they made, things that they learned. And even though they're all filled with sin, and technically a lot of us would qualify them and ourselves as not worthy of his honor, God calls them his chosen people. My people, he says time and time and again in scripture. Do you remember the covenant from earlier in Genesis? In 17.7, God said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. In Romans 9, 9, 25 to 27, Paul refers to what God says in Hosea, I will call them my people, my beloved, my children of the living God. So let's dig in. Who are these chosen family members? Who are the sons of Jacob? On your tables, I did one more genealogy. I'm so sorry. I've totally been loving this. So (laughs) there's a sheet that's on there. It didn't, the color printer wasn't working, so I'm going to explain a few things that I kind of discovered in looking through this. But this genealogy starts with God, Adam, and goes all the way down to Jesus. And so we have the prior to the one I gave you, starting with Noah, and it goes all the way through. What I found kind of cool about it, several things, on when we get down to David, kind of in the middle of the page, you'll see that it breaks into two parts. The Matthew account of Jesus' genealogy is there on the left, and that is Mary's side. So that's the lineage down from David to Mary. And then on the right side, which is the gene- genealogy in Luke, is the genealogy from David down to Joseph. So I just thought it was really cool. I'd never, I knew the genealogies in the two scriptures were um, spoken very differently. Um, in the Luke, it's very it's son of, son of, and it just kind of keeps repeating and goes through the lineage that way. And then it's a little bit more descriptive in the Matthew, so I thought those were the differences, but then come to find out it's actually the two sides of Jesus' family. So I just thought that was very, very cool. So as we're talking, you can kind of follow through all the different sons and kind of what led and where we ended up into Jesus. So we start with Reuben. Jacob's firstborn with Leah. Reuben did some good things and Reuben did some not so good things. He did have a moment of weakness where he slept with Jacob's concubine Bilhah. And that was in Genesis 35:22. When however, so sin in that and Nancy Guthrie asked us to kind of think about and explore what was that? Was it rebellion? What was behind Reuben's motive? with that. So while that was a failure, he did balk at his brothers trying to kill Joseph. So he talked them into putting Joseph in the pit versus killing him. And he had planned, scripture tells us, that he wanted to return Jacob to his father. Later in, as we're getting into the time in Egypt where the brothers are going to get food from the famine, Jacob has asked, Joseph has asked that the brothers bring Benjamin back to him. And so they have to go to Jacob and say, we need to take Benjamin. And you can obviously understand Jacob's hesitation in allowing his sons to take his last, his youngest, most beloved son. So what Reuben does is he offers his own sons as ransom to his father, guaranteeing the safe return for Benjamin. And I loved that for several reasons. One, you can tell that Reuben has had a heart change. He understands the pain that his father has been through, the loss that he's had, and he's determined not to let it happen again. In, in Reuben's blessing in Genesis 49.4, it included that he would no longer excel due to that sexual sin earlier. It says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. So Jacob's recognizing all the attributes that Reuben had that were positive. He goes on to say, Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up into your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. So, with love, with pointing out the amazing attributes that Reuben has, Jacob also calls him on his actions. So, there is that accountability piece and the consequence, but there's love embedded still in the blessing. As we go down, Simeon is the next one. I might blow some of the names. There's different pronunciations that I've heard. So um, he's the second born with Leah, killed the men of Shechem after Dinah was raped. So they, um, both Simeon and Levi, go in and promise to let them live, to live in accordance with them, but it was basically just to trick them. So there was lying and deceit ending with the murder of that entire city, the men in the city. Simeon was also the one, when they are in Egypt before Joseph, he is held ransom in Egypt until the other brothers return with Benjamin. So again, there's something full circle that God is kind of bringing back to that. He is also, in his blessing, cursed um, due to the killing that he did. Levi, third son of Leah, also part of that attack on Shechem, also cursed in his blessing due to that sin. However, God does establish through Levi the priests and Levites. So those are established through his line. So, again, accountability, discipline... Le- with love embedded in there. Judah, the fourth son of Leah. I'm actually going to come back to Judah. So pause on him for a moment. We go down to Issachar, who's the fifth son with Leah, but Jacob's ninth. So there's other kids in between. Zebulun, sixth son with Leah, Jacob's tenth. In his blessing, it was very interesting. His blessing was that he would live by the seashore and become a haven for ships bordering Zidian. So we don't know much about either of those. Not much is said, but they were part of the blessing. Dinah, obviously, she's the daughter with Leah. She was raped by the prince of Shechem. What I found myself wondering is, were there other daughters? In the scripture, it talks about all of the flock, all of the sons and daughters. So in Genesis 37:35, along with 46, 7, um, we get in scripture that all of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And this is when Joseph was um, sold, but he thinks he's dead. So those words, all his sons and daughters. So it was plural. So there were more daughters, just not named. Dan was the first son with Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Jacob's fifth. His blessing was that he would be a judge, and we see that later in the books of Judges. Nephtali Nephtali was the second son born with Bilhah, Jacob's sixth son. That blessing for him is that he is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Gad, as we keep going, first son of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid. Jacob's seventh. Blessing spoke of his tribe being attacked, but in the end, overcoming all of those attacks. Asher is the second son with Zilpah, Jacob's eighth. And then we get down to Joseph. Again, I'm going to pause a little bit. And then down to Benjamin. So we've got Judah, Joseph, and Benjamin. Judah was the fourth son with Leah. He was convinced, that his, he convinced his brothers to sell Joseph versus killing him. So there was um, a piece in scripture. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and bread, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. There's a lot of questions I would love to ask Judah in this text. Are you being snarky? <laughs> Are you? So it's kind of like, what will we gain? Like, is he trying to save Joseph from being killed? Or is he really just thinking, Heh, I can gain some money if I don't kill him? So is it that he doesn't want Joseph to die for insincere? Or is he really seeing an opportunity to kind of make some money? I don't know. For me, it's tough to say. He does convince the other brothers. So you can tell that Judah has some weight. And, of course, he's part of the first four sons, the eldest sons of Jacob. So just kind of interesting. Interesting. Later on, uh, Judah leaves his family and travels. And um, after having his family, his wife passes. His sons have died. His first two sons have died. And so Tamar is in the picture at this point. So Tamar was married to Judah's eldest son. He was wicked, is what scripture tells us. So he dies. The second son is then to get Tamar. So here we are in a lot of cultural um, mess at this point. So the second son is supposed to get Tamar, take her as his wife. And he does, however, he does not allow there to be offspring. So he finagles things so that that can't happen. And so God sees that as wicked and removes him. And so he dies. So at this point, there's one youngest son. And so Judah does tell Tamar, I will give you to him once he's old enough. So he's promising and he's saying, I will fulfill what should be done. But there's a little bit of a catch. And what we don't know, or what I couldn't figure out, is, is he truly wanting to give her to that son when he is old enough, or is he biding time to get out of having to do that for fear of losing this, la- this third son? So he didn't do right by Tamar in giving her to his youngest son. Time went on, his wife passes, and he, go- he travels up to where Tamar is and sees her dressed as a prostitute. He lies with her. And from that, twins are produced. He gives Tamar a scepter, collar, things of his that identify who he is. Later, when Tamar brings those out, Judah realizes that he's been caught in a sin. And he's quick to acknowledge this sin. He's quick to acknowledge his wrongdoing of Tamar. In chapter 38, 26... It says, Judah recognized his belongings and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. From that encounter, though, with Tamar, if we go to the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus, we see that from Judah and Tamar, Perez is born. He is one of those twins. So from that wrongful act, from that sin of not giving Tamar to his youngest son, of lying with her, an error is produced. What's interesting is Perez of the twins is again we see the younger gets put above the older, and so the twin, the first twin, he put his hand out, and scripture tells us there was a ribbon tied around it, and then he pulls his hand back in, and then Perez came out ahead of him. So technically, Perez was the younger of the two, but came out ahead, and we'll see that from that, from Perez, is where the line of David down to Jesus comes from. So from all of Judah's wrongdoing, his sin, his brokenness, God uses it for good and makes it a part of his family. Tamar is mentioned in that genealogy in Matthew, and I just love that God did that and gave her that honor because she had done no wrong. She simply was trying to follow the... um, just the historical context of that day and how that happened. Yet she was blessed in being in Jesus' line. Judah goes on, and he again, just like Reuben, has a heart transformation. He offers himself in Egypt in place of Benjamin, taking his place in jail. So Benjamin, the silver cup, or the silver, if you remember, was placed into his baggage And so he discovered it. So Joseph is wanting to put Benjamin in jail for that act. And Judah steps up and says, no, take me. He does not want—he knows his younger brother is not guilty. And so Judah is willing to take that place. Scripture tells us, Judah said, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brother's. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So to me, you just see that heart change in Judah. He knows the pain that his father has been through. He knows the loss that he's encountered, and he cannot and will not put him through that again, and I just think it's beautiful. Of course, Judah's blessing is is amazing. As we read through it, Um, starting in chapter 49, verse 9. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the back of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? the scepter will not depart from judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his jesus is all over in this blessing all the ties and so it's beautiful that this glimpse of what's coming is is given to them and given to judah especially So, we get to Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph, first son with Rachel, Rachel, Jacob's 11th son at this point. However, he's Jacob's favorite. In our studies, we hear of his gifts of dream interpretation. We know he's thrown into the pit by his brothers, then sold to traders, carried into Egypt, he become, to become a slave, um, he becomes a slave to the captain of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He refuses, he, he stands firm, but her scheming gets him thrown into prison. So he's gone from not so great to worse. In prison, we know that he interprets the two dreams of Pharaoh's servants, which eventually, two short years later, I can't imagine that they were short, um, he is remembered, and he gets the opportunity to then become, to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. This gets him to the point of being Pharaoh's second in command, which puts him in the place of being able to provide all that food for, during the famine, and ultimately to his brothers and his family. Through that time, Joseph is eventually reunited with his family, and we got to read all the different ins and outs of that, the back and forth. What's really cool, I thought, with this whole scene, which went for several chapters, is Joseph uses the opportunity not to necessarily punish them, but to test them, to see where their hearts are at. Have they changed? Are they still falling into the deceit and jealousy and whatnot, or have they turned from that? So he tests them and their hearts, but he sees that they are just full of penitence. They're remorseful. They have had that heart transformation. What's beautiful is after seeing all of this, that his brothers have changed, that they've turned from those ways. Joseph is not better at all, and I think that's amazing when you think about what they did to him. He weeps at different times when he sees that they are offering themselves in place of their younger brother, showing compassion for their father. Several times, scripture tells us, he weeps at the relief that that transformation is taking place. When he witnesses their love for their father and their youngest half-brother, he's just overwhelmed. So of course he takes them in and they become a family unit again. His blessing is beautiful. I really want to take the time to read it, but I'm not going to for sake of time. So chapter 49, verse 22 is where Joseph's blessing starts. And just the beginning leads right into Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. And it's just full of blessings that are to come for him. Last but certainly not least, Benjamin, the second son with Rachel, Jacob's 12th son, his mom dies at his birth. So he doesn't ever get to know her. He's Jacob's favorite after Joseph was sold. Joseph asked again for him to be brought into the Egypt and we see him be accused of stealing but yet defended by his brothers. His blessing indicates that he and his people are fierce warriors. However, the tribe would always be fighting. And where I get that is in scripture it says Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. So there's fighting constant for him. In the morning, this happens. In the evening, this happens. And I'm wondering if that means it's a perpetual thing for him, that in the mornings for you, this is, you're going to be fighting, and then in the evening, you're going to be splitting the plunder. Whew, okay, there's 12 of the sons. The 12 that we're focusing on. Through Jacob's sons, we see it all. Remember the list of those family traits that I mentioned at the beginning? Polygamy, jealousy, sibling rivalry, deceit, estrangement, prostitution, rape, murder, idolatry. Again, they're all there. These are all part of Jacob's family, many beginning with his own actions if we think back to Jacob's story. Deceit, jealousy, mistrust, estrangement, idolatry. Jacob wrestles with God to try and as he's struggling with that. So it's it's in Jacob and in his history, and it carries into his sons. Can you recognize any of these traits in your own family? I know I can see them in mine: jealousy, favoritism manipulation, deceit, estrangement, idolatry, many of those same traits are there. When I think about my genealogy, from what I know, I've never been one to get into all of the intricacies that are now available to us, but just from what I know, my family, going back to great-grandparents, grandparents, my parents, divorce is a part of the family all the way down through my mom and my dad. I was 16 when they divorced. Um, it was a divorce from... from, an, from a, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a sexual sin. That was the ultimate string for that. This led to a lot of heartache, eventual estrangement from a lot of the family, even just beyond my mom, dad, and I. My sibling, the sibling part of my family tree is about as interesting as Jacob's. Not quite, but somewhat. (laughs) So grandparents, step-grandparents, grandparents grandparents they didn't know, down to aunts and uncles, step-aunts and uncles, more cousins than I could even begin to account. Um, There's lots and lots, but what's cool with cousins, they're siblings without the fighting, right? So I love my cousins and have great relationships with all of them. By my dad, I have a much older half sibling. Don't even know if it's a brother or sister. I also know I do have a half brother, had a foster sister, adopted sister, and eventually two younger stepbrothers. So even with all of these siblings, I was raised as an only child. I was the only child in the house growing up. So siblings, but never had to live under the same roof. What was cool with that is I had the benefit of not ever having fought with any of those siblings, <laughs> because that happens when you're in those tight spaces under that same roof. Even with all of this, even with the estrangement, the heartache that was caused, I've already seen how God uses it for good. He's brought so much good from all of that sin in my family and I's life. I imagine most families are like Jacob's and mine, not like the TV families that we see. Yet God has chosen each and every one of them. Nancy Guthrie reminds us that just as Jacob's sons seemed an unlikely lot to represent God and do the work of God in the world, so did the 12 disciples. They too were ordinary men, fishermen, fishermen, a sellout to the Romans, a revolutionary, a thief and betrayer. On paper, like Jacob's family, they're not an impressive bunch. They're not what we would expect. She goes on to state, and I love this, that all all of us, Jacob's family, the disciples, all of us, we are made into God's people only by God's mercy. So it's his mercy that can do good. It's his mercy that can make us into his people. So here's where Jesus enters. Remember Judah? He sells his brothers, causes his fathers much heartache, doesn't fulfill his word to his daughter-in-law, then sleeps with her. But again, like I mentioned, he's quick to acknowledge that sin. He turns from that, sin and turns back to God. And again, as we saw, it's through his line that Jesus comes from. Jesus died to cover all of our sins, to reconcile us with God, to allow the Holy Spirit to be in us. Our study says that, well, Jesus is populating his family, his church, with imperfect but repentant people, flagrant but forgiven sinners. When I read that, I was like, ugh, there's our challenge to repent, to acknowledge our sin, the pain we've caused, come to Jesus' feet, seek forgiveness, give that forgiveness when it's offered to us, and then what magically through his mercy happens next is that we can turn from those ways our heart can transform and turn back to him. As I finished reading through the scripture the Sons of Jacob, I found myself thinking back to Jesus with the two men on the road to Emmaus. The stories he shared with them, it's the ones we just finished reading. He recited them. He talked through the wonder of creation, the deceit of the serpent, and the fall of mankind. He told them, reminded them about Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, all those stories, all leading up to the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One last little thing that I caught, again, as I was just kind of finishing up, I realized a small other little connection to my own family, and it's adoption. God created man and woman and took them in as his own. He adopted them in a way. He created them, and they were his. Fast forward to Jacob. There was, in Scripture, it tells us of how Jacob takes Joseph's sons as his own. So Joseph's sons were born in Egypt, but Jacob takes them as his own so that they knew they were part of his family, they were part of Israel part of the covenant with God, despite the fact that they were born in Egypt. Another fast-forward to Jesus. Jesus opened the door for all nations to be his people, his beloved children, his bride. So I mentioned in my own family there is adoption. My mom and dad were foster parents before I surprised them, Um, before God surprised them. I didn't have anything to do with it. Um... So, of those two daughters that they were foster parents to, um, one stayed in touch and was still tied to the family. They were both, both girls were seniors when I was born. So, again, that's where they were coming out of the house as I came into the house. Um, But one of those, Sandy, stayed very strongly connected with our family. And eventually, my mom and dad adopted her, despite the fact that she was in her adulthood. They wanted her to know that you are a part of us. And with that, I had a sister who put up with me as a small child when I was very picky and very difficult. Yet, as I moved in those teenage years, this friendship came. She was amazing, amazing to me and a mentor and understood all those teenage things and could be sister and friend but not in that parent role. So it was a very sweet spot for both of us. What what I'm most thankful for that God chose Sandy to be my sister is because of her faith. And I can't say that I knew it strongly growing up. It was in adulthood. I saw her living her faith out. She didn't have an easy life before coming to my mom and dad. Her first marriage was not easy. It was very challenging, and she was not treated well. Lots of pain, lots of heartache, and she had physical pain as well. And so despite all of that, she held on to Jesus. She could look back and see how God had chosen my mom and dad for her, a safe place to be, to finish growing up, to finish school, to become a successful adult. She held on to Jesus through all of it. She knew that someday, All of the pain and struggle would be over. She knew that she was a beloved daughter of our Father in Heaven and that one day she would be home with him. Sorry, I thought I could do this. She went home to be with Jesus in August of 2006, and I miss her. I miss her a lot. I miss her presence here on earth, but... I'm so overjoyed when I think about her being home with Jesus. She doesn't have any pain. Her body is completely restored. There's no sorrow, no weeping. And so I can look at her walk here on earth and remember that she did all of those things. She acknowledged her sin. She asked for forgiveness. She gave it forgiveness wholeheartedly. And so. I'm going to close this with a prayer that she had because it's filled with her heart to seek Jesus and to do all that he has asked us to do in his name. So with that, I will pray. Heavenly Father, today I pray for your wisdom. With your wisdom, I will love openly, give freely with a cheerful heart, help without being asked. I will behave in all ways pleasant to you. My words will hold hope and encouragement. My actions will speak loudly of one that cares for others and for their needs. With your wisdom, my life will reflect the love of Jesus, portraying unexplained generosity, unrequested assistance in the smallest of needs, and unrepayable kindness. Let me be this person today and every day, so, dear Lord, I ask all of these things that were in my dear sister's prayers for all of us. I thank you for who you are, for all of the amazing attributes that you display, for your love. And I just ask that you be present in these ladies' discussions this morning. Be with us as we walk out of this building and into the mission field of your, of your what you would want us to do and say. So I ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen.